Welcome to the How I Went Viral podcast. This show will tell you how to write better LinkedIn posts so that your ideal reader can see and read more of you. Every week, one LinkedIn author shares their strategies and tactics so that you can learn how to write better posts, and you will learn the background story behind their viral posts. Your host is the Hollywood-trained film script analyst, entrepreneur, and LinkedIn influencer, Simon Chapuzo. Hey, welcome back to the next episode of uh, the Viral Post Analysis series. And I'm very excited today to have a fellow countryman here, Gunnar, who has an amazing last name because I think his last name encapsulates everything that you have to know about Good LinkedIn post writing, which is habits, and in English you would pronounce it as habits. I think you even you even did a blog series on that, but uh, that's not the topic of today's post uh, the show. Welcome, Gunnar, and let's get started. Thank you very much for the invitation. Hi, Simon, and hi, everyone. Looking forward to talk about LinkedIn and put better habits on it. Cool. Let's get started and uh, tell me a little about your background in terms of like what you do so our listeners have an idea of how your work ties to what you do on LinkedIn. Yeah, happy to do this. So I work in the IT software sales area. I've been a long time at HP in Europe. I learned analog marketing, as I would call it today, digital marketing. I've been in sales and sales management, came to Australia six years ago. And uh, here I learned also one thing, building a network is extremely important and LinkedIn can help and support that. On the other side, I also have been a published author. I used to publish um, travel books for German publishers uh, back in Europe about my home country, Switzerland, about Czech Republic, some other places, Germany, Austria, and all over the place. So that's why I have been in the process of writing. So for me, it was normal to go into a restaurant in Prague, write about it in a local newspaper. I came to Sydney and I attended my very first uh, Sydney Opera House uh, performance of an opera and write about it in uh, constantly ongoing in a magazine in Vienna. So my own writing habit, I like to share something what I learn and that can be culture, theater, gastronomy, uh, advanced sightseeing, everything like this. And I often found a place where I can also share that. And then after a while, I also uh, discovered blogging and LinkedIn is a perfect platform for that to share what I experienced. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. You have a fascinating background because on the one hand side, unlike many people on LinkedIn who are touting self and solopreneurship and sort of building your business on LinkedIn, I mean, you do that, but it's not your your main focus. And you just said you approached it from the blogging side of things, a thing that I think is getting a bit forgotten today because everybody's trying to sort of go viral and build something big and uh, nobody talks about sort of sharing interesting things that you see in your life and showing showing the diversity that you clearly have showed in your blogging or on your posting. So that that is very interesting. And that's why I'm very excited to have you in the show today to also show to people who work in companies that you can have an active LinkedIn life and it's not sort of the, the exclusive domain for self-employed people. So that is cool. So we shall talk about this later. Uh, typically on LinkedIn, back in the days, it has been perceived as an online CV. Yeah. People would be active on it in job search time, but not necessarily posting about content. Salespeople yeah. use LinkedIn, of course, to find prospects and uh, try to engage with them, but rarely sharing their own content. And one of the very uncovered markets are is actually what's called workforce activation or employee advocacy. And 
when I work at Hootsuite uh, until last year, I've been working quite a lot on this topic of uh, how companies can utilize the power of a person brand of an employee, not to become a corporate billboard to blast content to the employees, but to make it in a clever way to showcase the expertise that many will have. Think about corporate cons solution consultants more than salespeople. Maybe it's a good way to show that, not to pitch, but rather to, to share content that can help in nurturing and decision-making process of those who are on the buying side. Absolutely. And I think that we need two episodes. There's so much to talk about. That feels alone. Ain't it? Cool. So let's talk about the evolution of your style, how you got into LinkedIn. And um, I mean, you already touched on one thing and I find it so mind-blowing because LinkedIn was perceived as boring and so like this corporate stale CV platform and suddenly it's become this hip trendy thing for solopreneurship and sort of do your own thing and uh, build your own business. So it's completely flipped. Let's talk about your style, how you got into LinkedIn, how you sort of like started posting and what did you see along the way? I mean, you must have experimented and discovered what works and what doesn't work. So if you could give us just a quick overview, quick emphasis on quick overview, because there's so much to say, what you've discovered, how you started, what you've discovered and where you are today. So what I discovered, I came from a network to Australia about six and a half years ago with already about maybe 1,000 connections there, but I never posted. Back in the days, I earned money by writing a book. I earned money by writing articles. So it was the blogging type of thing was new to me. So I had to first discover, and I did not want to use LinkedIn to promote a product. Back then the first post which I made was actually about a product, about an, a smartphone from HP, just actually after I left. And then I started to read more because I believe a writer is a reader. In the first case, if I talk about the open performance, I need to attend it beforehand. I need to know my target audience, that I know how I write for local people in Sydney compared to a magazine in Vienna who do, the people do nothing else than seeing 50 performances per year. So I need to be, look into the audience. And I had, I wanted to find my way here in my main profession, which is in software sales. So this means I wanted to connect. And the only way it works by listening to problems other people have. And that means I read a lot. And then I shared things like how to network blended offline and offline. I found people who wrote about it typically outside of LinkedIn. Think about Medium as one of the sources of Forbes Inc. and so on. But I tried to, to locate good content and bring this into my network. And based on this, I came even up to a publishing process. It was a long time before I've done this highly professional. And I recognize that people resonate with the topics I've chosen. And what I add in terms of my style is to take someone else's article, maybe summarize what's in it and tell my network what's in it in their view with my two cents to it. Well, I've always thinking about at my audience, whoever that audience is consisting of content from the past, of course, but also those who I would like to connect with, which would be in the area of business development, IT sales, software, hardware, whatever. So I added topics and I put a range of four or five bigger things like cybersecurity, networking, leadership, everything around that. And what I found, I put there on certain patterns as something what I would always maybe rather on a Tuesday or Thursday, but another topic more 
person development, I will put on a Sunday, for example. And this is why I created my own principle of a schedule. And I also attended multiple events. What I found on Eventbrite, what I found from companies in the, who put out events out there, like take HubSpot, for example, on the, on the marketing tech side. I attended them, engaged with people, shared what I learned, and that was fantastic to enhance my network. So basically, in what hell I read and I share, but I add my two cents to it that my audience finds a reason also to open this post, to open and get a code to think at the end. Sounds like a complete no-brainer. So what I hear is that you're very tuned in to your existing audience, your network, that you look for content that you find interesting, reshare that to your network, that you are very active by bringing these two worlds together, the people that you meet in real life and then these people that you have online, which sounds like a no-brainer to have like this organic mix and not treat this as a two separate thing. Maybe it's something that happened after COVID where everybody went, went online. Let us talk about your post because you, you showed me three posts that follow a very similar pattern of um, basically sharing a, an article that you found interesting. And uh, you did a good job in introducing this article to your audience. So it's not just sort of like this typical dump and run posting thing like, great article, check it out. And then you get like five likes. But you really took your time to write a proper introduction. And based on what you said, I can see that your audience has gotten used to you sharing your content. So when you post something with a proper introduction, it comes highly recommended. So people are probably even more likely to read it. So let's talk about these three posts and what you've done with these posts. Yeah, happy to do that. What I started this series when I talk about these Sundays, I put it together as my last name is Habits. I look into not just books, like there's so many about atomic habits and so on, but other blog posts which I found on Medium and other sources which help us thinking, typically for Sunday evening, reflecting what's coming next in the week or in the next year or whatever. I thought something that makes sense in terms of improving the habits and using bad habits and so on. And one of those which I found was from a blogger from Melville, Tim Denning, who has a large following of don't ask me how many hundreds of thousands of people. Never met him actually in person, but I like big part of his content. So I use that to showcase to my audience. And I simply summarized. I started with the who do we strive to be? So the content, I'll tell you what it was. The name of the initial article is Eight Habits of Quiet Winners, which basically celebrates the power that introverts have compared to the always chatting extroverts who at the end open their mouths a lot and don't say anything about it. So therefore he's celebrating this in his article, which is nice as such. I ask at the beginning with the question, are you, do you want to be this type of extrovert streaming about your success or do you rather would like to strive to be the introvert achieving hidden space? And at the end, I also come with a question as a call to think more than a call to action, like by this or that. I added the three, maximum five hashtags to it. I tagged the original author. But what I've done, I gave an enticing summary, not too long, but a lot of blank lines in between, that people want to also read this. And then I've done two things against all rules from the Googles out there. Number one, it is my post that went viral, look, led outside of LinkedIn into Medium. Number one, between normally should not do in order to. It would be penalized as something to say. 
And number two, I didn't put it out using LinkedIn. I've done it on a third-party tool, which was Hootsuite. I've been working at that time at Hootsuite, but I also use it already beforehand because only there I had the chance if my article that goes away off LinkedIn has maybe a picture I don't like, you can't do it on LinkedIn, you oh. can change it on LinkedIn as soon put a link on, but in Hootsuite you can. So that why this was my preferred way of doing this. And this was even scheduled. I've not done it in the time, but as for scheduled post, most people schedule in the set and forget mode, but I've been active on it to observe for the two hours afterwards the engagement. And that worked well because I found the right time where two conditions are met. My target audience was on the platform and in the mood of engaging. We see this a lot when people Posting at a time when you think nobody would be on it, like today is Australia Day, people would be out and about and, and, and celebrate or go at the barbecue. Many have the smartphone in their hand. They might see something on LinkedIn, but they're not in the mood of it. So I combined all of it, it worked well, and that got me viral, which means three, more than three times of my followers with 27 reposts and uh, dozens of comments. Well, I think the number of reposts is always a very good indicator of the quality that people see in the post. Yes, but let me say it, I'm a little bit disappointed when I see the repost because most people repost something without then adding their view. Uh. So they could basically replicate what I've been doing, a couple of lines at the beginning and say, I found this and it's good because of my own DNF, but most of them don't do that. But the interesting thing is the majority of the reposts are people who are my second connection, not my first. That's also an interesting thing that that's, you know, I want to talk about. Thanks for reminding me on this one. That there's a difference between who reshares your content. And I think this similar thing applies to the likes and comments. So it's, it's more interesting to have third degree connections shared like second degree than first degree connections because they're sort of kind of already your friends and biased in your favor. So if you have a lot of people from third and second degree connections, it's sort of like even better. But yeah, maybe share your thoughts on that. Yeah, that's also is my, is my observation. When I look into who in general likes my comments and who they would like to engage with, I'm happy for everyone who comments who is not my first grade connection. So if their comment is, is thoughtful, I look also at their profile. And if that resonates with me, I'm happy to even invite them to my network, not just click and connect. I'm a big fan of inviting with a personal note. Um, so I would do this. I think that's how we met, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, they didn't. They, they didn't meet in person, unfortunately. Despite we've both on the southern hemisphere, but uh, there's too many kilometers in between, but one day it can happen. But that for me is an important thing. So I look into who is engaging with it. Doesn't matter if it's just the reactions, like likes and all of the others, or the commenting, which of course that has more value in it. And I like when someone then from either my network or from outside of my network takes the effort to take my posts and share it with them with their audience. That's nice. That helps me to tap into, into other areas of maybe interesting professions that I would like to have also in my network where I can learn from them. Yes, by the way, finally, mm -hmm. there is another rather newish type of effect which came into this one. So if I have reposts mm -hmm. and some of those people then see my content and then they come with the idea to follow me, I have the creator mode, so the blue button is a follow, not connect. Many don't find then how to connect, but doesn't matter, they follow. And automatically they are invited also to subscribe to my newsletter. That is very interesting because that's something I just recently discovered. And let's chat about that and maybe you can teach me something here because 
I don't know, I get all these invitations to follow someone's newsletter and I know who they are. But I mean, I mean, it's like, why should I follow your newsletter? We've, we've never sort of like engaged to a degree that, that I feel compelled. So I'm a bit torn between, hey, this is so great that you have this, that you can have this automation between having a newsletter and uh, people automatically getting an invitation once they start to follow you or connect with you. And then on the other hand, it's sort of like, it's a bit spammy. I mean, it's like I'm getting all these requests and I, I barely have time to follow up with my connection. So. What are your thoughts on that? It's, and the tricky thing is when you then you follow someone and then you realize what is the name of their newsletter and when it feels pitchy, salesy in any way, it would actually even, let's say, get you a little bit of an inner world of engagement with the person because you would fear they want to sell you something. And the tricky thing is who is actually, who has newsletters? Typically those which are in a small business, the coach, a consultant, content creators, they would like to spread their message and it's all good but you rarely find someone in the corporate role who would have a newsletter unless it's maybe the chief marketing officer so and i wanted to do this but which topic can i talk as a newsletter which is not too obvious about the product of my company i mentioned earlier what i like is that i take the content or linkedin from a learning and sharing point of view. I then call it my newsletter, learn from books. I don't sell anything. I only read, I love to read books. Like here's one I have in my hands, Stop Wasting Your Time Networking from uh, Wendy Lord Curley. I got the book even before I met her in person. I reviewed this and that is part of my newsletter. It helps from an overall, my mission is rather to use it as a knowledge-based platform that we all can learn from each other. And that's that what I continue. Therefore, I think my newsletter has not the feeling of I'm sold to. That makes a huge difference. And that takes us to the other thing that I wanted to cover with you today, which I'm very excited about, which is that you are not the typical solopreneur who sort of touts his brand on LinkedIn, but you are part of an organization. You already mentioned you've been with Suite. You have changed employers now. And what I find really interesting, and you touched on that, is the policy of some employers towards the employees having a personal brand and some like it, others don't. And uh, you actually made me think about the value of this. And one little story more, somebody else told me that I'm not a big soccer fan, but in the US, one of the teams apparently looks for the social media following of their players. And that has a huge impact on whether they hire that player and they hired, they, they, they bought a player that had millions and suddenly the whole team got like millions of new followers because they had this player. So there's a huge benefit, I think, in having employees that have a strong social brand on LinkedIn, but uh, I'm not the company that sort of doesn't like them. So tell us about sort of like your experiences here, companies' relationship to personal brands, and maybe you can talk about this one story where you didn't get a job because they didn't like your personal brand. A quick one on soccer. I know that one, I follow soccer in Germany and Switzerland, but one club, don't remember which one it was. They took one player from, I think it was Japan, on purpose because he came with a large following and that enabled them to sell more merchandising stuff there with local distribution. He was not that successful as a player, but he earned the club so much more money due to this. It's another way to show that actually sport is business, unfortunately, in a certain, a certain extent. So for the personal brand, I actually, I remember, I think I shared with you once, 
I had the experience. I wanted to work at another computer vendor back in the days. I've been in HP a long time. And you can guess further up in the alphabet is another brand I'm using for my on my smartphone, tablet and everything. It's this free one. Well, yes, they recognized in the interview that I actually, I do have a personal brand and I'm a published author. And I thought they mean it like I should understand it as a compliment, but they said, no, for us, we have a company brand. Our employees, they don't have a personal brand. And I had a look, there was nobody of my ecosystem of this vendor whose name I do not want to tell, but you find it in any food shop. You don't find them on LinkedIn in that sense. Facebook maybe yet in what they do outside of work. And I recognize the best way for me to do this is I simply bought my MacBook and then I use my personal brand in using the technology. But that was for me an interesting learning because as corporate employee, it is a way how a personal brand can help to showcase a certain expertise and that we don't do it in a too much of a bragging style. Like the online CV in the past, I've been three times on President Club in the last five years and I've done 169% of quota performance. It's not what the buyer wants to read. It's not what an industry association member wants to read, but rather how can an, a corporate individual or even also their leaders, how can they showcase what attracts oh. talent, what attracts prospect customers and having a personal brand as an expert is lovely. So I, I used to work in, when I came to Australia, I demanded service provider in the area of backup disaster recovery. You can think a lot of evangelizing is needed to tell the world that, hey, there is something like cybersecurity, there are threats, all of this, and I could use this as, I can use LinkedIn for awareness to showcase, and as a way to connect, to build my personal brand. I want to do, I later worked in risk management. It's a wonderful way to bring also people together. I looked after partnerships. So for me, it helps to find risk management consultants, for example, because they would like to show this there. So it's, it's fantastic. And now I'm, I'm happy that I work at GoTo. You might know GoToMeeting as one beautiful way of running these uh, video meetings, which before the pandemic, I use all the time. And I'm, I'm in the area of remote management software solutions. So same type of thing. I can engage and showcase that we are in a way of this remote work from home, work from anywhere type of approach. And I can tell stories on LinkedIn with a personal brand. And that works well also in conjunction with with uh, content that exists, that gets it more of a personal note. And I know from my time at Hootsuite in this topic of employee advocacy, that if you take a hotel chain, for example, there was one Spanish one, Melia Hotels, what they would do, they would utilize the power of the employees, not to broadcast the same type of content, but to share their own thoughts, the sense of, hey, we are reopening after the lockdown, please people come. And they were able to associate revenue dollars in bookings coming from posting of, of their happy employees, which also includes a requirement that there need to be a good corporate culture that employees want to happily work there. So we have that, so that's good. But also there should be content available for this. And that that's it's, it's a wonderful way how a person brand in the corporate environment can lead into what for me, social selling is all about to advance a business agenda. Let's go back to the hotel because that is really interesting. So you're saying this Melia Hotel, they managed to encourage employees to, to be active on social media and actually drove bookings through employees talking about how happy they are. That That's so fascinating because, I mean, a, a hotel is like the most commoditized thing you can think of. 
And on the other hand, yeah, there's the saying B2B and B2C is dead. It's all P2P, people, person to person. And I can totally see that with you. It's, it's indeed, it's H to H. It's, it's human, human to Right, human. right, H to H. Excellent. You just dropped a phrase, social selling. That reminds me of uh, your, you being a published author and you writing on social selling. I heard you have a new book coming up. Is it new? Tell me about it. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So I started in end of 2018 to write about social selling because it's basically what I've been doing and I wanted to showcase in a series of six blog posts from November to December 2018. And out of the six, I think I'm now at 216. Every week I'm adding some kind of practical tips to it in a similar kind of framework all the time, adjusting a bit. Uh, but typically I say something like social listening or how, how does a recommendation actually make sense? So let's circle back to now you spoke about the book and I'm very keen in learning more about your relationship with your, with your employer who apparently seems to be very positive and open about your personal brand that you have on LinkedIn. And uh, with this book coming up, you further reinforce that brand, building on that. How does your employer brace you writing this book and probably also having presentations all that? How, do, how does it work together between them and you? So I'm very happy that I have the chance to publish this book. Obviously, it hits quite well. I started the concept uh, in my last week, actually, when I've been at Hootsuite, where it would fit nice too. But I'm basically, but the only thing I'm sharing in the book is how social selling work in the form of a practitioner. And the good thing working at GoTo, we have a couple of book authors within our employees, or some have other type of an idea of what else they can do in their free time. I know one is also having a the shop for accessories for the pets at home. So it's it's great to show that this work-life balance somehow works. And if someone of the of our colleagues has an expertise, it also can mean something positive. Think it like who writes a book might know something like working with deadlines, working with project management, and some of the process learnings uh. also reflect well when it comes to the corporate usage. So that's always a good side of it. And if somebody writes a book to share some thoughts, then obviously it is compatible and compliant from a culture point of view, from, a, from an HR point of view, of course, also check that. Uh, so it, it should work well together. And I'm very happy for that. Now that you speak about it, it sounds like a no-brainer to have your employees being good communicators, even the part that they have a book. But looking at the majority of people in companies, you feel like they're sort of muted and they, they can't really communicate well outside of their team meetings, which is a sad thing. So I think we have to do another podcast where we dive in, into this interesting relationship. I'm even thinking about having a whole series on that because I think that's very interesting topic. But yeah, here we are focusing on the viral post mainly. Thank you for coming and uh, sharing your thoughts. Where can listeners find more about you and your book? So obviously about myself on LinkedIn. My name is Gunnar Habits. There's only one that exists on LinkedIn for that. That's clear. About the book, I have a capture page at the moment, connectandactbook.com. So that would be there. And I'm posting at least three times, four times per week about different topics in the area of work from anywhere, the more flexible work and something that attracts more people and also in the direction of remote management software. We talk courses all related into go-to from a storytelling approach. 
Thank you, Gura. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing you around on LinkedIn. And I want to take this podcast as another proof for that LinkedIn works because we met thanks to LinkedIn and this podcast happened thanks to LinkedIn. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Sam. Thank you for listening to the How I Went Viral podcast. We would love to see your takeaways from this interview. Please visit Simon's profile on LinkedIn and leave a comment or ask a question on one of his LinkedIn posts for this series. If you like the show and want to listen to conversations with LinkedIn influencers, please follow Simon on LinkedIn and subscribe to the company page of Storylux.